Well, what's up, PVN students? Welcome back to our study of Galatians. Uh, today we're in Galatians chapter one, and we'll, we'll finish up this chapter. Galatians chapter one, verses 11 through 24. Galatians 1, 11 through 24. So right now we're in the letter of Galatians. Um, this letter falls neatly into three sections, so it's kind of easy to split apart in your head. Uh, like I said, three sections. Uh, the first two chapters are um, biography. The next two chapters are theology. And then the final couple chapters are application or, or an application of the theology that, that we learn. And like I said, this first section that we're still in, first two chapters, falls under biography or a story about a person. Now, doctrine is extremely important. The concepts and what you believe about what the Bible says, that, that's called doctrine. And doctrine is extremely important. The most important thing, I would think. But we don't just learn doctrine, or, or in other words, you could just say what the Bible teaches. We don't just learn what the Bible teaches just through curriculum and study. Now, we do those things, and we should do those things, but we can also learn doctrine through stories, stories of people's lives. I think the most important thing a person can read outside of the Bible, okay, I think the most important thing a person can read outside of the Bible is either books about a specific doctrine that you want to understand better or church history because history church history specifically is stories of people in the faith who have come before us it's stories about people who believe in jesus who have come before us and sometimes the biggest help to your life is reading about what god has done in someone else's life reading about things that they've gone through, and then when you go through the same things, you can look back on their example, and that'll help you. You can look back in, on, on what God did in their life, and that will help you in your life. Sometimes teaching a doctrine can be um, hard to understand or complex to kind of wade through and figure it out, and I'll use big words, and you kind of start to, you know, your eyes kind of start to droop and that sort of thing. But through stories... They're much easier oftentimes to keep up with. Um, seeing a doctrine play out in someone else's life, you can look at them, you can look at their life and say, oh, now I get what Ryan was talking about because I see it in my mom's life or I see it in my friend's life. Now I can teach it to other people. Ryan didn't do a great job communicating it clearly, but now that I see it in someone else's life, I see it in their story, now I can communicate that doctrine. So a quick side note to that too, if you're suffering or if something strange maybe is going on in your life right now, I don't know if anyone can relate, God may very well be teaching someone through your story. Right now, someone is seeing your story unfold and God is using that to teach them about some specific doctrine or, or about his faithfulness or about how to handle suffering or about patience or about discipline or whatever that looks like. Or he may be getting ready to tell your story to other people years down the road. Stories help us in our faith. And here, Paul is telling his story. The reason he's telling his story is Galatians 1.10. So a quick trip down memory lane from last week. Again, I encourage you to listen to all of these sermons on the PV and Students podcast because, of course, they do all connect to each other because the Bible is, you know, connected. So Galatians 1.10, this is why Paul's telling his story. 
one of the reasons. Paul says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still striving to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Notice how much Paul's talking about himself there. He's not really talking about his teaching, right? I, you think I'm trying to be a people pleaser? You think I've been labeled as someone who's just trying to make people enjoy what I'm saying? You think I've been labeled as someone who's not a servant of Christ? It's all about they're attacking Paul as a person, okay? And that's what he's going to combat today. Remember, Paul was in Galatia in Acts 13 and 14. He taught, he performed miracles, he planted churches. It was awesome. After he left, a group of false teachers called the Judaizers came in and taught the people of Galatia that to be a Christian, they couldn't just believe in Jesus Christ and follow him alone. They had to become Jews as well. Judaizer means to live like a Jew. And you can hear it, Judaizer, to make one like a Jew. That's what they wanted to do. That's what they were teaching. And part of their false teaching, we'll bring it all together, part of their false teaching was discrediting Paul, attacking Paul himself. They didn't just go after the teaching, they went after the teacher. Paul's, you know, Paul's just trying to win you over by lying. Of course, he doesn't think you have to become a Jew. You guys are Gentiles. He's not going to make you go through all these things, but you really do need to do this. That's what they were doing. Paul knew that in order for the people to accept his teaching, they had to accept him. He had to defend his reputation. And in this section, Galatians 1, 11 through 24, we will see him do that. Well, so what does Paul defending his reputation have to do with me today? Right? What does Paul's story from literally thousands of years ago have to do with me? Maybe this is the one that I can skip or I can tune out. No, no, no. Paul also tells us when he's talking to Timothy, right? All scripture is useful for teaching and training in righteousness. But also, like we just said, stories a lot of times are even better at communicating doctrine than teaching is. So, in a way, this text specifically in Galatians, may be even more useful to you. Paul's story may be even more relatable to you and impactful to you than in other sections where I just have to teach the doctrine itself. So I would really encourage you to tune in because I think you'll enjoy this one um, especially because Paul's telling his story. Everybody in church loves stories, right? Paul's telling his here. But we'll also, through this story, we'll see some very deep doctrine. It's a steep climb, and I'm excited for it, okay? We'll see Paul defend the fact that he's an apostle. He's a teacher that you can trust and listen to, and the reason you can trust me starts with listen to my story. So let's take it in pieces. Galatians 1, we'll look at 11 and 12 first. Galatians 1, 11 through 12. Paul says, for I would have you know, brothers, that's a Galatians, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to men or from men. Verse 12, for I neither received my gospel from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice the difference. He, Paul wasn't taught this, this doctrine. He received it. More on that in a minute. Paul is telling the Galatians that he wasn't taught this gospel by a group of people. That's what the Judaizers did. They were just taught this. And that's what they're trying to convince the Galatian people. Paul was taught this. 
He was taught this by some loon up in Jerusalem, and now he's just spreading it to you. And Paul says, whoa, whoa, I wasn't taught this gospel. He wasn't brainwashed. He didn't get a group of people together and come up with a religion with Jesus at the center. That's, that could be what they mean by taught. Not just he was taught by a teacher, but he kind of got some people around who agreed with him. Hey, let's start a movement. Let's make a little money on the side. That's what they could mean too. It was taught to him. And Paul's saying, no. Now think about this too. Paul's saying he didn't get a group of people together and plan this false religion with Jesus at the center. In fact, a religion with Jesus at the center makes no sense for Paul at all. Think about his story leading up to what all the, what is happening here. Does this sound like something that Saul the persecutor would do? Come up with a religion that has Jesus at the center? If you know anything about Paul, you know that in his past, he wasn't spending his life trying to get people to believe in Jesus. It was just the opposite. Verse 12 again, Paul says, for I neither received it from man nor was taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the only thing that makes sense. It doesn't make sense for Paul, who's been persecuting the church, to then be influenced by the church he was persecuting and start preaching the, the, the message that, they were, that he was killing them for. These false teachers are saying, Paul just made up a religion about Jesus Christ or he was brainwashed into a religion about Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying, you have no idea who you're talking about. That makes no sense. Paul was not convinced of anything. He was changed. And that's the difference. He wasn't taught this. He received it. And that makes even more sense because it's impossible for Paul to have been taught this. You know what happened to people who tried to teach Paul this? He fed them to lions, literally. He killed them in front of their families. Paul could not, Paul could not in his dead soul state have been taught this. The only solution is he was changed. He wasn't convinced, he was changed. And he wasn't convinced by an argument, he was changed by Jesus Christ himself. And when you think about it, it's the only possible explanation. Verses 13 and 14. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I, how I used to persecute the church of God. So look, Paul's saying, I couldn't have been taught this by Christians. I was too busy persecuting them. I, he wasn't neutral. He wasn't neutral on this. Well, maybe. Well, gee, Peter, that, okay, that kind of makes sense. No, he, he wanted to cut Peter's head off, literally, not even as a joke, right? 13 and 14. If you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure. He didn't just persecute him. He persecuted him beyond measure and tried to destroy it. More on that in a minute. And I was advancing in Judaism, not Christianity. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my Jewish ancestral traditions. Not just being zealous for his Jewish traditions, but being extremely zealous for it. It is impossible to think that Paul came up with this idea of worshiping Jesus on his own because you don't decide to worship someone that you hate. You just don't. You don't, it doesn't, the mind doesn't work like, the heart doesn't work like that. And notice in 13, he says, what is his, what is his ultimate goal? 
in, in accordance to the church and to Jesus. What does he want to do? Accept them? It's cool, good vibes? No, he literally wants to persecute the church of God beyond measure and destroy it. What was Paul doing before this? Was he getting coffee with Christians, right? No. Was he curiously reading blog posts that Peter and James wrote? No, he wanted to destroy them. This word for destroy, it literally means to wipe out a city. In our day, we might say to nuke it. Paul didn't want to engage with Christianity. He wanted to drop an A-bomb on it. Paul is converted on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9. The stoning of Stephen, the first martyr, is in Acts chapter 7. In Acts 7, the first time we meet Paul, or Saul, as you want to look at it, and it says he was holding men's coats while they beat Stephen to death with rocks for preaching about Jesus. That guy came up with a religion about putting Jesus at the center. I don't think so. In Acts 26, 10, it says he voted for their deaths every time in court, men, women, and children. He was a kid killer. He was a woman beater if they believed in Jesus. And then all of a sudden, they influenced? No, there's no way. Seeing Christian martyrs, this is what one of the commentaries said, seeing Christian martyrs couldn't convince Paul to change his mind about Jesus. Seeing martyrs couldn't convince him. Don't tell me that meeting at Starbucks and, and dialoguing is what, and then Paul decides, you know what, you're right. He wasn't taught this. Martyrs just made him hate Jesus more. Paul was such a fanatic against Jesus, no one would have even attempted to change his mind. Don't listen to Paul. He just made up this love Jesus stuff. Paul's saying, what part of my past makes you think I would start a religion about loving Jesus? I didn't start this religion. I didn't start the religion about loving Jesus. Jesus did. Galatians 1, 15 and 16. So, so he's talking about in 13 and 14 how much he loved Judaism, how much he hated the church, pumped the brakes. But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, which means other people. Let me just read that first part again in 15, 16. But when God who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Notice Paul, Paul doesn't encounter doctrine. He encounters a person. He wasn't convinced. He met somebody. He was changed. Paul was converted in Acts chapter 9, but God's love for Paul started long before that. Did you catch it? But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, later comes the conversion and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. That's Jesus. There's the conversion. But before that, Paul had been set apart by God's love. Before Paul knew anything about God, God knew everything about Paul. He knit Paul together in his mother's womb, Psalm 139. He set him apart. Now, this is particularly important that, he, that God set Paul apart because of his grace alone as a baby, as in, as in the womb, right? 
One, it's a hit against Judaism because Jewish people thought that their obedience to the Jewish law is what set them apart. That's what saved them. Their obedience to the Jewish law is what sets them apart. And that's what they'll teach the Galatians. And Paul says, no, God sets you apart by his grace. That's why the Galatians can't get in in the first place, even though they're Gentile. That's why you and I can get in even though we're not Jewish. God sets us apart from the beginning by his grace. Paul says, he set me apart from my mother's womb. It's not works, it's grace. This is also an extremely powerful argument against abortion, but that's for another sermon, but know that it's in there. God's loving favor had been on Paul his whole life. Now, he hadn't been a Christian his whole life, but he had been in God's hands. Now, being God's, in God's favor doesn't mean that, you know, I don't know, a building falls down and Paul just happens to walk out of that building before he died. There's God's special favor. And that's, that's not exactly what we're talking about here. This has huge implications. Because think about what a horrible person Paul was. From his mother's womb? Really? This means that the grace of God has been shaping Paul all his life for the things that he would do for the church. The grace of God has been shaping Paul all his life, even in his failures and the terrible things he was doing. He was still being shaped by God for the things he would do for the church. When Paul became a believer, think about it like this. When Paul became a believer, nothing was going to put, put out that fire in his personality. I would love to meet Paul. I don't know that you would because he, this dude never has an off switch. Never. No days off, right? Nothing was going to turn him away from preaching Jesus. It's, it was incredible. Paul was beaten times without number. He received 39 lashes five times. He spent a whole day and night out on a piece of driftwood in the ocean. And still his passion couldn't stop. Nothing could turn him away from Jesus. Where did he get that fire from? Well, the Holy Spirit, of course, but look deeper here. Look at how God was already molding that fire in Paul, even in his unbelieving days. Look back again, Galatians 1, 13 and 14. Think about all that, Galatians 1, 13 and 14. For you have heard from my former manner in life of Judaism. So this is Judaism how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries and my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my traditions. Look at the fire in that. Look at the tradition. Look at the, look at the conviction. There was no stopping Paul in becoming the greatest Jewish man who's ever lived. Now, he's dead wrong in that. But look at the fierce drive to become more zealous. More zealous than any of his other brethren in the cause. Doesn't that also sound like the Christian Paul? God had been preparing Paul's fiery personality for his whole life. The Old Testament knowledge, the zeal, the training, the effort, everything Paul had been developing in his arsenal to destroy the church, God would use to build it. In Acts chapter 4, Peter says that Herod, Pilate, the Gentiles, 
the people of Israel who shouted crucify him to Jesus, these people who, who conspired together to kill Jesus, they were all just doing what God's hand had predestined to take place anyway. Think about it. They wanted to kill Jesus and get rid of his followers. Well, what started the church? The death and resurrection of Jesus. So in trying to stop the church, they actually started it. C.S. Lewis had a, had a peer, you know, C.S. Lewis is a guy who wrote Narnia and a lot of other things, so read more than just Narnia, but start there. But C.S. Lewis had this peer who was a devout atheist, if you can even say it that way. Can you be devout to something that's not real? Anyway, so he was a devout atheist, and he would work with Lewis to train him in debate, to train him to tackle Christianity and, and other religions. And, then, and so Lewis grew in this skill set of being this master um, arguer against the faith. But the problem is then he became a Christian. And so all this skill that he had been taught for years now made him atheist's worst nightmare. And atheists were the ones who taught him. God was in charge of all of that. The same passion Paul had to destroy the church ended up making him the greatest church planner the world has ever seen. Who's in control of all that? Paul, give me a break. God. Genesis 50, 20, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Someday, and I wish I could do a whole sermon on this, someday we will see that all opposition to God will in the end do nothing but further his good plans. Someday we will see that all opposition to God will in the end do nothing but further his good plans. There's a great story in the middle of the book of Acts about a demon possession and these false exorcists try to exorcise this demon and it doesn't go well, right? If you, if you think the Bible is boring, it's because you're not reading it. They, they try to exercise this demon and it doesn't go well. And the demon attacks these guys and kicks them out of the house. And as a result of this powerful demonic presence, everybody does what? They turn to God. It scares them to death and they burn all their, all their um, evil magic books. They just burn them. They turn away from all this mysticism. God used a demon to further his cause. All opposition will end in doing nothing but furthering God's plans. Hold on to that hope the next time you hear about a Christian being martyred across the ocean or another missionary gets cancer. How could God do that? How could he short-circuit his own church like that? What if I told you that that martyrdom would not stop the church? In fact, it would make it bolder that that cancer would show somebody somewhere that Jesus is more precious than a healthy body. More precious than a healthy body. That's power. These things that you thought would stop the church are actually being used to grow the church. Now that's good news. Paul says we're more than conquerors, Romans 8. How can you be more than a conqueror? I mean, you've, you've beat them and you've conquered them. The only way you can be more than a conqueror is if the very thing that's trying to conquer you actually helps your victory. That's how you're more than a conqueror. The thing against you is actually working for you. And that's what God was doing with Paul. But why Paul? Galatians 1, 15 and 16. But when God who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, was pleased 
to reveal his son in me, called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. Why, Paul? Because God was pleased to. God took pleasure in rescuing Paul. Why, though? Because he's God. And here's the great hope in that. If God brought Paul, the most evil, dead-hearted persecutor, to life because it was his good plan to, if Paul really was saved, as he says, by grace and not by works, that means it doesn't matter how lost you are. God can rescue. It doesn't matter how lost your brother is or your friend. Oh, he's done so many terrible things, Ryan. You just don't even know. God saved Paul because it was his good pleasure to. Not because Paul cleaned himself up first. What was Paul doing on the way on the Damascus Road in Acts 9? Was he on his way to a Bible study? No. He was on his way to kill more Christians. Paul didn't save Paul. God did. My friend is just so far from God. I don't know if there's any hope left. There's not for your friend, but there is for God. God can save him. God can save her. God has the power to rescue and save whoever he wants, whenever he wants. He ha and his power to save is unstoppable, unignorable. If anyone could have ignored it and turned his back on God's saving power, it was Paul. <laughs> he killed people. This means it doesn't matter how you walk in on a Sunday morning with all your Awana medals pinned on you, or if you stumbled in from last night. Paul was more religious than anybody you know, and God broke through that false religious veneer and saved him. Paul was also as lost as anyone could be, and God saved him. He has the power to rescue you and your friends. If you notice in verse 13 and 14, Paul's actions take center stage. My former manner of life, I used to persecute the church, I was advancing in Judaism. It's all about Paul's works. But then when salvation comes in 14 through 16, God is the one who acts. God set Paul ap apart from his mother's womb. Paul didn't do that. God called Paul through his grace. God revealed Jesus to Paul. Salvation is from God which means it can happen to anybody. There's hope, which means there's hope for everybody. Later in chapter 1, verse 24, chapter 1, verse 24, it says that the Christians in the area who knew Paul's former life, they knew who Paul used to be, and they saw the change in his mind, in, in, in him, what does it say? They gave Paul a big pat on the back for all the hard work he had done to change his, no, no. What does it say? They glorified God. Because they knew that only a direct intervention from God could change that heart. Paul's story shows the Galatians and us that it's not the Jewish law, but God's love. It's not the Baptist law. It's not the whatever, it's not the good grades law. It's not how many APs you take that set you apart or don't take. It's not what college. It's not how accomplished or unaccomplished. God's love sets us 
apart. And when you realize that, that you were as lost, that I, that we were as lost as we could be, that you were as lost as you could be, no hope, and God chose to bring you to life, there's no boasting in that. It takes the legs out from under your pride and you become patient with those who don't get it. You stop looking down your nose at sinners and you get eye level with them because you realize that if not for the grace of God, that's you, that's me. God bringing dead hearts to life by his loving will is the most humbling and beautiful doctrine in the Bible. And the reason Paul's teaching that is because it happened to him. It wasn't just his theology, it was his story. Remember, Paul's trying to defend his name. He wants people to believe him. He's telling, he's telling all this to show that this love for Jesus wasn't an idea that he had. He was changed. Everything he saw as ugly and boring and oppressive all of a sudden became sweet and light and good. You don't see a painting that's boring and think, and, and think it's boring and the next day think, it's beautiful. That doesn't happen unless how you see has changed. There has to be a change. And that changes by meeting Jesus Christ when God saw fit to reveal his son in me. That's why Paul's so fired up against the Judaizers. Verse 14 tells us Paul was as Jewish as Jewish could be, and he was not saved. That did not set him apart. So the Galatians becoming Jewish will not work. So quit teaching that. Verse 17 through 20. 17 through 20. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him for 15 days. But I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God, I am not lying. The Judaizers are from Jerusalem, which would make sense. The Jewish, the Jewish people who want to teach Jewish stuff are from the Jewish capital. They're saying, look, Paul got this from the apostles in Jerusalem, but he didn't get the whole story. We are from Jerusalem as well, and we know the whole story. Paul says, Jerusalem... After I became a Christian, I didn't even go to Jerusalem for three years. When he said in 16, when he says, I didn't confer with flesh and blood first, he says, you know, they're saying he was taught this. I didn't even meet with people first. I went to study on my own with the Lord. Paul, and then Jerusalem, after I became a Christian, I didn't go to Jerusalem for three years. And by the time I get to Jerusalem, I was only there for two weeks. And I just saw Peter, and then I saw James, and then I left. It wasn't this deep months and years long being explained to by other people. In Galatians 1, 22 through 23, then Paul says, I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing he was the one who persecuted us and he's now preaching the faith, which he once tried to destroy. Paul says, when I was converted, most Christians in that area wouldn't even know me if they saw me in a crowd. They didn't even recognize me on sight because I was so new 
to, to Christianity. The rest of the Christians around me at the time, they didn't even recognize me or they were afraid of me because I killed their friends and family. And some of them probably hated him. I'm not talking to him. So Paul's point is, I didn't learn this from anybody. I couldn't learn this from anybody. Jesus Christ saved me, and that's why I'm coming to you. This is what has happened to me. And they were glorifying God because of me, because they knew that the only thing that could have changed me was meeting Jesus Christ himself. Do not doubt the power of personal testimony. Paul tells his story three or four times throughout the New Testament. The best teacher the church has ever seen spends a lot of time telling his story. That should show us something. There's power in a changed... Paul understood there's power in a changed life. You telling your friends and family what happened to you and just being honest, I mean, that's exactly what Paul just did. There's power in that. If you have become a Christian, you have the ability to evangelize your neighbors. Evangelism classes are great, but you don't have to have one. You have everything you need in a heart that has met Jesus.